Mr. Yarvin, can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't see you, though. Uh, let's see if I can fix that uh, where you're able to see me. Uh, you should be able to see me now. Um, um, I have a hang on. Is it better? Oh, there we go. There we go. Yes. That looks that looks somewhat official. That's right. All right. Are we are we live? Are we almost we are. live? No, are we're we live. live. Yeah, you joined us uh, in progress. Right. Yeah, because I start uh, earlier in the day. So, yeah, you joined us in progress. Lovely. By the way, before I get started, I should ask you this in email. How long do we have? Because I have a, a – I'll tailor my questions. Uh, um, I've got an hour. Is, okay. that, is that wrong? Yeah. Is that too little? Yeah, no, hour's fine. Okay. If you have a little extra at the end, that's fine. We'll just see how it goes. Um, but yeah, right. yeah, thank you for joining joining me here on the Kill Stream. You've never been on. Uh, I do this a lot. I've done a lot of interviews, uh, and usually how I open it up with somebody who's never been on the show uh, is to give us a little bit of their background uh, and tell us how you got here. But just in general, you know how how you got to be uh, a voice and all this politics stuff. How you how I got to be a voice and all this politics stuff? Well, uh, you know, back in the early days of uh, two thousand seven when uh, dinosaurs ruled the earth. And uh, that was, of course, well before. Now you're, uh, you know, Mr. Ralph. Can I call you Mr. Ralph, or, sure. is, or is that your guy? You can call me that, right, Mr. Ralph. I'll call you Mr. Ralph. So, 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 Mr. Ralph. You know, um, back in 2000, of course, as I recall, there was ethics in in, in video games journalism <laughs> that had not yet become a problem. And and I was just a hum, humble blogger, and I started. You can uh, see the name of my book over my uh, shoulder here. Um, um, unqualified reservations. That's the name of my blog. You can buy it now by a, a, a glorious compendium of unqualified reservations from Passage Press. And, um, and I started blogging and I just basically decided that, you know, we lived in this sort of marketplace of ideas. And, you know, it's just like sometimes you go into a marketplace, it's like going into a you know, dollar store, everything, and you're just like, wow, everything, everything here is crap. Like all the whole market is just crap, you know. And 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 so I kind of felt that some things needed to be rebuilt from first principles, you might say. And you know, along the way, one of the things, I guess, in some ways, my uh, my largest claim to fame, you know, I don't know how many people acknowledge this, but this is absolutely true. I was sitting in a cafe in 2007 in Haight Ashbury and it was covered with hippie memorabilia, you know, hippie protest this, hippie protest that. And I thought of this film that had come out a few years previously called The Matrix. And of course, you know, basically everyone is living within this sort of standard thing where like left-wing ideas are really like subversive, like the man, right? You know, everything is controlled by the man. It's like capitalist pigs or whatever. And I was like, but what if, what if you sort of switch this metaphor around and you actually thought of the red pill as like um, right-wing enlightenment, whatever right-wing means, we could go deep into that. And so I started using this metaphor and, and this metaphor was so powerful that it was instantly stolen from me. It was just too good for me. It was instantly stolen from me by two separate groups which is how you basically know that I or someone like me did it, because neither of these groups would have stolen from the others. And one of them was, um, of course, the pickup artist community and the internet pickup artist community. And the other one was the internet Nazi community, where, you know, the word Nazi can be thrown around in lots of ways, of course. Uh, 
you know, there are no Nazis because the uh, the party uh, registration office has uh, been closed since 45. But <laughs> the, uh, I mean, if, if we use the same definition that people use for communist, there are no Nazis. Nobody has a card anymore. You know, they're like collector's items. But, uh, you know, so so sort of having introduced that, that devastating, destructive meme to the world is kind of in some ways maybe my original claim to fame but i'm really just a humble computer programmer uh how about how about you mr ralph you know your uh, your audience knows everything but maybe a one one line bullet bullet summary i understand you're some kind of a, a rapist and a gamer right as i always say you can't say therapist without the rapist that's right. but, um, correct me if i'm wrong yeah uh <laughs> Actually, you mentioned ethics and gaming journalism. Uh, I don't know how much yeah. you know about me, but that's how I got my start, actually, with Gamergate almost 10 years ago. Uh, and that's that's how I, how this whole thing started. And I used to be a blogger, uh, was what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in my case, and in most cases, blogging doesn't really pay that well. Um, my, yeah. Mine was ad-supported, and it was... You know, it wasn't that great. Even even on a month, you you have a killer month in terms of views. You know, you could have hundreds of thousands of views, and get a really measly check uh, from AdSense. So eventually, I had I've had a colorful career. I won't go into all that. But uh, and do I do I do I detect a southern accent there? Are you from Alabama, Georgia, something like that? I'm from. Uh, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and lived right across the river in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, so yes. Uh. I'm from the South. That's some, that's some Nathan Bedford Forest country <laughs> right there. And, yeah, there uh, used to be a Nathan Bedford Forest statue there and what used to be called Confederate Park uh, in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Now, of course, uh, I think and what's it was it, What's it called too. now? Uh, I don't know. Really? What's it Rainbow called Rainbow Coalition Way or something. I don't know. Uh, it's it, They changed yeah, the yeah. name of it. I, I think they actually did name it after a uh, black activist or something. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But they dug up Nathan Bedford Forrest because he was actually buried uh, in that park. Uh, mm -hmm. And they dug him up and mm -hmm. transferred him over. So, yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, his his uh, his corpse might release some kind of Confederate yeah. radiation. Is there, is there such a thing as Confederate radiation? <laughs> I'm, not sure. shoots out of the grave, like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, when I was a kid, nobody was really cared about it, but it got to be a, a big issue later on. And, you know, we need to get rid of There was a statue out there, too. Uh, you know, if you've heard about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they, they got rid of the statue. But it's always been kind of a, um, a, a racial flashpoint type situation there in Memphis and the local paper commercial appeal always has like race baiting stuff on, on both sides. And I remember when the KKK came through town when I was a kid and that was a big year mm. riot. And you're of, you're of, you're of, uh, of cracker uh, uh, descent. Am I correct? Or you're not a plantation a plantation person. You're a, you're a cracker. Uh, yeah. I, my family, as far as I know, didn't own any plantations. Yeah. I believe, uh, Cracker, yeah. really a more appropriate term. That would make you. That yeah. would make you a cracker. Yeah, yeah we well. don't. We don't have any plan. I, you know, not running. That and when you get your twenty-three and me, does it say? Does it say cracker? Does it say? You know, I haven't actually gotten nothing but a country no, bar. You know, just yeah, uh, ninety percent cracker there on the pie. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't actually gotten one. Have you ever gotten one? I did. I did get one, and it confirmed that I was mostly uh, what I thought I was. But uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have any cracker heritage, but I, I wouldn't be offended if I did. I mean, it's, it's common. You never know. There may be a cracker in that family tree somewhere. Uh, sure, sure. Hidden yeah, cracker, yeah, yeah. Nabisco there. Uh, hidden cracker. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. What's the cracker in the woodpile? What's the, uh... <laughs> 
Sorry. Oh, the Ethiopian, as right, WC Fields used to say back for the censors, but there's <laughs> another term, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll quote. Well, you know, I, I'm here in, in California, we, we got all, all sorts of white white folks here in California as well. It's a very diverse state, of course, but, uh, you know, some of the uh, original, you know, founders of, of, of civilization in the 20th century here were what we uh, we politely refer to here in San Francisco, which is a very sophisticated city, as you may know, um, as uh, Oklahoman Americans. And, uh, you know, but if you go out in the Central Valley, man, yeah, it's a different, it's a different. Now, what's it? Now, you mentioned California, and I don't, that's not on my list here, but what's it? You know, you said you live in San Francisco. Um, how's in the it, general, in the, well, the area. general area, yeah. Now, yeah, a big thing in the news, especially well, the conservative media, but even some liberal media, um, is about how San Francisco has deteriorated uh, over the last ten years or so. Um, do you see that, or is it still a great? Area well, it's a long, it's a long, slow process. You know, it's like asking where the Roman Empire fell. I mean, you know, the um, a very long, slow process. I mean, you know, most people forget, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, you know, Mr. Ralph. I don't know if you've heard of the, the zebra killings. The zebra killings. It sounds familiar, but I, I can't, I won't lie. No, I don't. I don't. It was just whack, whack a doodle, like late 70s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, you know, a um, late 70s, I guess, a rogue branch, rogue, you know, a branch of the, uh, the Nation of Islam decided, um, they was just going to start killing white people, and uh, they um, they formed a, what were called death angels. You had to become a death angel. You just had to kill a random honky, and um, you know shit went crazy. And one of the people they wound up stabbing, um, fortunately or unfortunately, not fatally, was a guy named. He was a progressive activist, a young progressive activist, and he. Uh, came down to Hunter's Point to uh, do some, uh, you know, community organizing, despite being a fellow of white extraction. Actually, I believe he was Greek, and he was stabbed by one of these death angels and, and almost killed. And, you know, the saying that it, there's people say that, a, you know, conservative is a liberal who's been mugged, but actually, you know, often they go really in the other direction. They have to be very, very hardcore about their faith because faith is meant to test you, Mr. Ralph. It's here to test you. And so Art Agnos in the early 80s becomes the mayor of San Francisco. He, like the whole progressive establishment in San Francisco at that time, is a good friend of Mr. James Jones. Uh, that's not James Earl Jones. It's uh, Jim Jones. Uh, you know, um, by the way, it wasn't Kool-Aid. It was, it was Flavor-Aid. But uh, Mr. Jones is good friends with Diane Feinstein. He's good friends, especially good friends with Harvey Milk. Big booster, you know, his very progressive church, actually. Do you know they gave when when the after Jonestown, he left the assets of, of the People's Temple literally to the Soviet Union. I bet you didn't know that. I didn't know um, that, but I didn't know the first part of that, yeah. And there's a great letter from there's a great letter of endorsement from um uh, Harvey Milk. You've heard of Harvey Milk, sure. uh, you know, the, I mean, a measure of the change since I started blogging was, I recall someone uh, posting in like 2007 that the, um, the U.S. Navy had become um, so, um, you know, LGBTQ friendly that there should be a USS Harvey Milk. And there is now a USS Harvey Milk, uh, you know, and of course we have Harvey Milk Terminal 1 at the San Francisco International Airport. No. No, no, um, 
you know, the news on when we're going to get Jim Jones Terminal 3. But <laughs> it can't be long. So in any case, the reason I mentioned Art Agnos is that Art Agnos um, and the, I think this was after Loma Prieta, the, the 80s earthquake, the whole area in front of Civic Center, which is this old, you know, kind of uh, Beaux-Arts, you know, center of, you know, back built by like city fathers in the 1920s or whatever becomes what's called Camp Agnos. It's just a huge mass of like tents, which eventually they have to clear. And so, you know, having been living in this area off and on for 30 years, like basically there are these sort of swells of coming and going. People are like, oh, let's elect a law and order conservative to like crack down on the whatever. And then, you know, the Supreme Court is like, well, not so not so fast, boys. Uh, you know, when you uh, clear these tents, you're actually uh, violating the uh, you know first, fourth, eighth, you know, ninth, and, you know, twenty twenty eighth, you know, amendments. And uh, I mean, so for example, most of the people don't know this when they go out and like little sheep and cast their votes, but most of the homeless problem in the West Coast is because the West Coast is, coast is under the nice Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Ninth Circuit in a case in Idaho of all, all places, you usually don't think of Idaho as having an issue with what we now you know refer to as uh, unhoused. I actually like to say the old English way, unhoused, unhoused people. Um, the, uh, there was a court case decided by the Ninth Circuit that said that as long as there were not adequate shelter beds to sleep everyone who wants to be slept in shoulder bed it uh then it was a violation of the eight and a half amendment to uh um remove tents and so basically anyone can sleep on the streets because it's like cruel and unusual punishment to like remove their house and so essentially you know when you go at like there used to be the you know these sort of spag spasmodic attempts to vote law and order in san francisco back when i moved to the city in the early in the 1990s we were still left versus right democrat versus republican politics in san francisco in fact you've heard of dan white as the kind of twinkie defense you know, Dan White is is kind of the last gasp in some ways, the last rather pathetic gasp of, you know, the basically cracker San Francisco, for lack of a better term. Now, the cracker San Francisco is not, of course, Appalachian Americans such as yourself. Uh, you know, it consists of Irish and Italians, you know, the people that go to San Francisco and they're like inspired by like Tony Bennett. Their picture of San Francisco is Tony Bennett, San Francisco, and they go to like Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, you know, to see like this, like Italian fishing village or something, you know, with like people singing, you know, something, 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 you know, this just deranged tourist hive. Right. And but but at one, once upon a time, like Irish and Italian, like San Francisco was a Catholic city, you know, on the bay and it had very. Uh, you know, you, you have to wonder what the city fathers of San Francisco from like, you know, 1923 would think of San Francisco in uh, in 2023, uh, they probably, uh, you know, wonder why if nuclear weapons had been invented, we haven't used them yet, you know. <laughs> and, but, you know, on the other hand, there's parts of San Francisco that are like perfectly nice bucolic places to be, you know, you always kind of want to watch your back a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the modern, it's the modern experience. I don't know. So it's not South Africa yet. Really, you're, you're, um, if you're looking for a picture of the future in the present world, you really have to look to South Africa and we're just not there yet. 
Uh, it's funny you mentioned Fisherman's Wharf for tours because I went th- to San Francisco when I was 12 years old, and that's one of the places I went was Fisherman's Wharf. Chinatown. I really and wanted to see Chinatown. When I was what did you think of Fisherman's Wharf? I loved it when I, was a, when I was a kid. Now, of course, I don't remember that much. It was a while back. Uh, but, yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked San Francisco. You weren't, you weren't, you weren't robbed. You weren't robbed. Or no, no, no. Anyway. Of course, I was a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. But, no, it was, it was nice. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, I was really fascinated with Chinatown because there was – Really, no Chinatown in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it's not right. really a southern thing, right? They, didn't, they didn't have Chinese. They didn't have Chinese no, no. people in the south. No, they like had some somewhere, but like they didn't have their own like district or whatever. Uh, and no, for some reason, I thought that was the Chinatown. Like I was like, oh, this is the Chinatown in San Francisco. Of course, there's Chinatowns um, all over the place, but I didn't know that when I was. There's Chinese people over the place. Yellow power peril is taking over. <laughs> that's correct by the way all right we'll double back and then i'll hit the the question list that i have here but cinemas uh sent in a super chat and he says what does yarvin think of the current day red pill community like sneeko andrew tate etc i don't know sneeko at all i'm i'm familiar with the concept of uh of andrew tate um you know i don't know i wouldn't want to fight him uh <laughs> you know it, it like you know it's 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 i mean you know I forget who was saying this. Uh, maybe it was uh, Arian Sibarium of all people. But, you know, it's like I'm – I feel that when it comes to red pills, you know, it's like drugs. Purity is very important. And, you know, if you buy, like, drugs at a rave, you can send them off. There are, like, shops that will test them and be like, you know, this is an acid. It's just, like, some, like, crusted over speed on some paper or something. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of products that, you know – like like um, Albert Hoffman, the inventor of LSD, wrote this book called LSD by Problem Child, you know, because you recognize that LSD, well, you know, in some ways a wonderful substance had not uh, been entirely uh, a force for good in this world. And, and so, you know, when I basically look at people selling things that are sort of complicated mixes of stuff that I would endorse and stuff that I definitely would not endorse. I'm just like, you know, you put that shit in your lungs, you know, but on the other hand, you know, basically, you know, often someone like, you know, Mr. Tate, um, son of Sharon Tate, by the way, uh, it's a miracle they saved that baby. Um, and the, I didn't, I didn't read that. That's, uh, that's Nicola Solo's line. Uh, you know, and, and miracle they shit, they saved that baby. Um, and you know, she wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, you know, um, Polanski's, uh, you know, at all. I mean, uh, as we can see, but the, the uh, something happened the there, case, yeah. <laughs> something happened there, right? You know, right, right, right. Actually, you know, we never knew that Sharon Kate was getting it on with, with Cascus Clay, but you know, the, the, uh, <laughs> in any case, you know, um, someone like that, you know, is, is a very, very good communicator. He's got a lot to say that certainly, uh, you know, I would endorse in various ways. Um, you know, I don't know about his like stable full of OnlyFans girls. That's not really the way I roll with the female sex. You're not down with uh, pimping, you know. is that what you're saying? Well, you know, it's, I mean, I got to say, there's pimping and there's pimping. You know, it's like, you know, can you convince me? Are you gonna? Am I gonna sit here and tell you that there's no such thing as an ethical pimp? Right. I couldn't claim that. I couldn't, I don't have any positive evidence there. Would I say that my impression is that Andrew Tate is an ethical pimp? Because I think he would go that. I think he, would he claim the word pimp? 
you know, right. but but you know, clearly he believes that what he was doing with these like you know this kind of battery chicken farm of women and little little wire cages and in Romania is, is, is ethical, you know, I mean, it's ethics, ethos, right. You know, um, I just kind of prefer my girls to be more, uh, you know, free range, but, but um, <laughs> the, it's not, by the way, it's not about own. ethics and gaming <laughs> journalism. It's actually about ethics and pimping. We, we missed the boat. This ethics whole time. and online. Pimping. <laughs> That's, That's, right. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Wait, 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 wait. Wait till we find that the whole is there is there an equivalent of like game journalism, but for like OnlyFans or even just for like porn in general? It seems like there should and be. And is it ethical? Uh, yeah, it seems like it should be, and it seems like you know, you know, progressive voices, you know, progressive diverse voices should be heard in, in the space. But but the uh, you know, I think it's a work in progress. I guess you know, you were probably a little bit surprised when these societal issues started to find their way because you were just a gamer. I mean, the reason it's called you know kill stream, you don't you know actually kill no. kill people like like Charles Manson, but that you um you know you you um you get lots of uh, jibs. Is that the term? Jibs, like you like to you you frag, you participate in a lot of simulated violence. How many simulated kills, Mr. Ralph? You feel that you've you've performed, and you know what's. Oh. No, in gaming. Oh, in I don't know. Probably. And uh, what do you think that's yeah. been a, the effect has been on the substantia nigra, your dopaminergic cortex? You get these little dopamine hits, you know. Any sign of early Parkinsonism, I mean, that'll I, do, do, excessive I dopamine so. abuse will usually cause that. I don't think so, but if you mean how many times have I simulated killing somebody in a video game, uh, yeah, hundreds yeah, of somebody, thousands. Something, or, or, something, yeah, somebody, something, hundreds yeah. of thousands, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like Holocaust here. It's like really <laughs> like... Uh, I don't know. We'd have to do the numbers. I'll, I'll just say eyes. Like I'll just say I'll just say eyes, of course. But you don't, you don't think about what that's done, done to your brain because it's a kind of like... It's a kind of murder gooning, of course. You know, like it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I've never yeah, heard that yeah, term. But I'm sure yeah, it's I fine. guess it is. Do I'm you, sure it's fine. I'm so sure you're one of those that sure thinks that has a like an impact on you long term to simulate violence multiple hours per day. Uh, no, I think it's just you know it's like, I, I guess I mean it's quite possibly I don't know, but I'm not sure it makes you into a you know a trained a trained killer like 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 Andrew Tate. Um, you know, but I think that, that certainly, you know, it's like, I'm not really a gamer and I'm not a gamer because honestly, I like it too much. And, and, you know, the, the point at which I realized that I was not cut out to be a gamer was when I was in uh, college, I guess it was my junior year of college. And I had a bunch of computer science homework due in the morning. And I also had this very old uh, SVGA, it was an XGA monitor you know, fish tank, right? Fish tank. This is like 1991, and I was running Sid Meier's uh, Civilization. And the problem with my monitor was that basically something was fucked up about the bezel, and so you had to kind of hold the monitor like really, you know, hard to like keep the bezel together or something, or the thing would just glitch out. And when I realized that it was five in the morning and I was up like this, my my arm had turned into like a tree trunk. And I was playing Civilization. I was just like, whatever, whatever I'm doing to the, you know, Striata Niagara and my uh, dopaminergic, you know, um, uh, cortex, uh, you know, so because I'm, of course, a Civilization, so it's not really murder gooning. It's more like world domination gooning, you know. And I was just like, if I want to ever achieve any kind of actual, 
you know, um, world domination, um, I should won't happen probably there. stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah I should probably there. stop doing this before I've worn it down to a nub, you know. And uh, so, uh, by the way, you mentioned one of the legendary gaming series there, Sid Meier's Civilization. I played every Civ since Civ 2, I never played the first one, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, for me, for me, that that kind of strategy game goes goes way, way back because uh, it goes back to really my first gaming experiences, were uh, which were um, NetHack and Empire. You ever play Empire? Uh, I don't think so. No, I played uh, what is you, it? Dark President. I think is the name. That's an older game too. I, think I played in Shadow uh, President. Yeah, Shadow President. Game. Shadow President. Sorry. Go ahead. Empire. Empire goes way before. It's a it's a generated sort of world strategy game, and I used to log in on my brother's account. It ran on a big a VMS Vax. You know, <laughs> this is literally the mid '80s, and so we log in and play Empire over like a 300 baud uh, modem with no error correction so you'd get these like little little glitches in the in the data that would fuck up your screen and it used a of course a crt uh, like terminal screen and then you'd have little you know have an a for an enemy army or a capital a for your own army on these generated continents and you know you build ships and so forth it was you know like a classic classic sort of game like that and absolutely brilliant and then of course there was nethack you must know nethack i know of it but i've never played it wow wow kids these days like you're a and you're a grown man yeah i see some stubble on your beard you know uh, like uh how fast uh how fast the world has changed yeah net net hack was 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 an absolutely brilliant again in the private 80s so you know i did my time I, I learned how to solve net hack you know and um you know but you probably never did any of those like roguelike type games no, I never played that. Um, but Civilization, um, Age of Empires, Command and Conquer is a little bit smaller, mm -hmm. tactical. A Paradox Plaza stuff uh, I've been playing. for. I don't get to play that much these days, any type of game. But uh, Paradox Plaza, I like a lot. Real-time strategy game. It's one of those world domination type. They have but you don't, you, don't play a, you don't play a lot of games these days because you've, you've moved on to actual world. You're right. a journalist. Well, right? I, would you consider yourself a journalist? Not really. I, I would say more of a... Maybe a muckraker or a um, shit talker nowadays, but that's what I used to consider myself when I was um, blogging uh, all the time. But uh, if you call yourself a journalist, uh, people expect you to uphold a certain standard. So I never, <laughs> I never yeah. really wanted to call myself. Yeah. I'm more of a well, commentator. There's different, there's different sets of standards. I mean, basically, by not calling yourself a journalist, you're kind of you're sending sending the message to basically, uh, you know, all the. Um, you know the uh, the Zoe Quins out there that you will in fact do it and give good coverage, <laughs> right? Is that right? You must have looked because me up a little bit. You mentioned Zoe Quinn, Randy Harper, Brianna Williams. Oh yeah, those, yeah, are, yeah. The, those are the gamer game. I remember the whole. Yeah, I remember the whole. I remember the whole. The whole. The whole story. You know, I. You know, sadly, I think the bad guys won. But uh, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I they mean, did. you just you guys, y'all didn't know what you were up against. And we you weren't able to really, get women out of thought, gaming. We failed. It was you. You thought you were. You thought you were basically, you know, fighting this uh, sort of weird, you know, quirk in your part of the woods. And in fact, you were fighting basically a five hundred year old historical force. So true. It unleashed a lot, though. I'll say uh, it's kind of the Big Bang uh, event online there in a lot of ways. Uh, not that it was responsible for everything, but it kind of unleashed. 
uh, I would say the the modern uh, era of the internet that we live in, the current paradigm. But I won't get into too much Gamergate stuff. All right, I'll I'll shift it back around because I have a whole list full of questions here. I know my chief of staff is mad because sure. he helped work on these, and we've not talked about any of them. Uh, but uh, okay, so let's talk about some other stuff. What was the dark enlightenment, and how can you see its impacts today? Well, I, you know, I never actually used the term. That was from an essay written by uh, Nick Land, who uh, I never actually met. I think he's basically, you know, opinions vary as to whether he's a meth addict. He's in Shanghai, or he was in Shanghai and is a meth addict. But he's a former uh, English or former. He's a he used to teach philosophy in England, and uh, he, uh, you know, you know, did this. Uh, got into my shit and, and did this summary of it, which again I haven't read, but I'm. I'm I'm sure it's good. I, you know, I think that generally speaking in the world that I grew up in, which is now kind of a distant memory in some ways, there was uh, the sense that everything that was outside this very limited box was just like sort of weird and crazy. And you had like, you know, like basically there were two worlds. There was the sane world, which you were into if you were like a normal person who went to good good schools and got good grades and stuff and there was like the schizo world of like john f kennedy conspiracy theorists and, and shit right you know and and nobody wanted to fall into the schizo world you wanted to like so when you know sort of things would happen and they seemed a little schizo you'd be like oh yeah just not really gonna look at that you know too closely it's like just you know you know, you find a used condom in your wife's purse. You're like, well, maybe she picked that up off the street. You know, she's gonna, she was gonna throw it away, right? You know, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, after a while, it just got too sort of obvious to ignore. You know, it's been a while of like, I was kind of a basic bitch, like you know, instapundit. I was kind of like a basic bitch, like instapundit, you know, person for a while, and then um, shit actually. You know, I mean, should I tell you the specific thing that really tipped me over the edge? Sure. It's maybe a digression, which is it was um, it was actually John Kerry. So in 2004, you know, John Kerry, uh, who, you know, great American war hero, runs for president. And they um, the uh, the blogs uh, figured out because they had the blogosphere at that time, you know, like the army of David, right? All this very inspiring, you know kind of low hearty stuff led by you know like you know um um freshwater law professors basically and the uh, is that a slur freshwater and in any case you know they they discovered that the uh, john Kerry, the uh, republic the democratic nominee for president the war hero had actually like lied about his war record and made up imaginary missions into cambodia which never happened um, and they figured out that it never happened because his commanding officer said it's never happened and his commanding officer's commanding officer never said it never happened. It clearly never happened and he clearly said it. And, and so being, you know, a humble observer of the media landscape, I was, I was watching this and I was like, okay, um, uh, gee, it's after the convention. So obviously you can't run a guy for president who lies <laughs> about his war record right i'm still i'm so old that i remember like the world war ii kind of attitude to this stuff right you know because because my grandpa was a was an american jewish communist who fought um for definitely for the right side in uh, world war ii and the the 
obviously it's a good thing that communists won World War II. And the, uh, because the world would be a very different place. But in any case, um, so I was just like, well, they can't, they can't run the schmo, right? You know, I'm not even sure, to be honest, I'm not even sure John Kerry is anatomically correct. I don't even know what's you know, and and the 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 um, you know he served also later as a secretary of state, That's I believe, right. which really tells you something. You know, and and the in any case, I was like, okay, maybe they're going to have a new convention. Obviously, you know, the guy dies. They got to pick a new guy. They can't possibly run this guy. And you know, but there's obviously just like no solution to this problem. And I hadn't realized what the solution would be, which is that. They basically just, um, you know, it's like, you know, but the mainstream media, you know, Mr. Ralph, has anyone told you about the mainstream media? I heard about it once or twice. You heard about it once or twice. The biased, the biased MSM, or as, uh, you know, Glenn Reynolds, Instapundent liked to be when he wanted to be like really funny, he'd call it the MFM. You know, that's like really great, like dad humor, right? You know, and that's like mid-2000s dad humor, the MFM, right? And so, you know, they're biased, right? And so, you know, the thing is like to say the MFM, you know, is, is biased, is it's like saying that like Godzilla is like big, like you don't really get it, right? You know, if you're thinking it's biased, like that's just such a small because it sort of imagines it, it kind of invites you to imagine maybe a time in the past when this wasn't the situation or maybe a way of like perfecting this this institution or something 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 just leads you completely off the track when you imagine like reforming this thing it's ridiculous and and the uh, and so I was like, okay, you know, how are they going to solve this? And the way they solved it was actually really, really simple. Um, all they had to do to solve their problem was to add a new word to the English language, swift boating, which means unfairly and for um, vile political purposes, maligning the, uh, the war record of a great American hero. And, um, you know, basically anyone who was doing any swift boating would be swiftly run off the rails and sent to wherever the, um, you know, the anti-Semites, you know, or the, the trans bashers or the people who want to reform gays get sent, which is out, out into the wilderness somewhere. And then we'd have an election. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, uh, well, you know, I thought you were like biased because it seems like you have a little dial and like, I was like really mad because the little dial was like turned up to like, you know, one and a half, maybe some days too. And you just took that thing and you turned it up to 11 and you're just like, wow, we can make you believe anything we want or anything we need to. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, and you know, nobody in the end even knew whether John Kerry had gone into on secret missions into Cambodia. There was no, of no interest in that, you know, like it was just, and I was just like, wow they can do that okay that's what the the bias thing looks like when it's turned up to 11 actually i don't think they were turning out to 11 i think they were turning up to like four four and a half five right i think since then we've seen it maybe at a seven or eight i don't know if we've seen it really at full power really my favorite example is actually in recent years it's the covid turn in early 2020 because remember when they were telling you to go to chinatown and lick doorknobs yeah you go to chinatown lick doorknobs really worry about the flu suddenly you know 
Donald Trump comes out and he basically, for whatever is going on in that big, beautiful head, Donald Trump comes out. He's like, this could be bad for the stock market. This could be bad for my reelection. And so he comes out and he's like, you know, my fellow Americans, you need to go to Chinatown and look doorknobs. And that's kind of more of a Reagan voice, I think. And, 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 you know, on a dime, on a dime, the whole progressive universe shifts around and they become like COVID fascists. And that's what we remember now. But I remember when that was the reverse. And, you know, it's like when you read Orwell 1984 and you get to the end and it has this like switcheroo where they're like, we've always been at war with East Asia, you know, or always been at war with Eurasia. You know, they, they, they change sides and you just read that and you're like, nah, nah it's, people aren't that dumb. That could never be done. Right. And then you watch something like this and you're like, no, actually, like, you know, Wyndham Lewis in his classic book, The Art of Being Ruled, which is, um, from the interwar period was like the people who set sort of the fashions in the mainstream media, however it works. And it's not exactly centralized and it's not exactly centralized in the fashion world, but it's like setting the fall colors for fashion. Whoever decides that the girls this fall are going to be wearing, you know, cerulean and teal, they're going to be wearing cerulean and teal. And, and, and that's the, the, you know, once you basically see, okay, this is how this system works, then just this sort of whole frame that you exist in where there's the two parties and, you know, they're both pulling government, the checks and balances, they're pulling the government in different directions, you know, the tension creates a conversation, which is good, the marketplace of ideas, all this garbage you learn in 11th grade is just, you know, like, has absolutely nothing to do with the way, you know, systems of power work and actually grew up you know, this is very relatively easy for me to assimilate because I actually grew up in the deep state. My, my dad literally worked for the State Department. And so, like, you know, there's a view from inside there that is like of a world that just has nothing to do with all this kind of, you know, Norman Rockwell stuff you're supposed to learn in 11th grade. And so you're basically, you're trying to do you're like, wow, I'm living in this weird, tiny little box where, you know, I can be asked to, like, change how we see anything instantly overnight. What's outside the box? And you realize that what's outside the box is everything. It's like everything else. It's like when you left a cult, you know, when you're inside the cult, you're like, the cult is your whole world. And then everything outside the cult is like non-cult stuff. Like, you know, that's how the, that's how Scientologists see the world outside Scientology. And the truth is, when you escape from Scientology, you basically see that, you know, the non-Scientology world isn't one thing. There is actually the non-Scientology world is much bigger and much broader and much more complicated than the Scientology world. And it's realizing that the non-liberal world is much bigger and more complicated than the liberal world, which is something which is really not the way you think of it if you're a liberal or even a conservative. And, and so the world of political philosophies outside, you know, the Overton window that we're all sports all supposed to live in is actually much bigger than the Overton window. And, and the fringe is bigger than the mainstream. There's more territory. There's more ways to see the world. And many of them suck. 
And, but actually, you know, understanding the sense of lightness and openness and freedom. And it's a scary and disorienting sense that you get when there's outside, when you're outside this box, because there's just so much. And, and that's, you know, that's, I guess, my best definition of what the dark enlightenment is. And you're right. It's much easier to be inside the box in terms of like, yeah. uh, you know, mental. Like, it's much worry. easier to be inside yeah, the box yeah, in many, many ways. Yeah. In many, many ways. I mean, one of the reasons why The Matrix is so good. It's such a good film, and it just hits something so right. And then all of the sequels are just such complete trash, you know. But like, you know, when when Cipher is like, hey man, you know, I really wish I'd taken the blue pill and like enjoy that nice. Nice juicy steak. You must have had you and probably other viewers out there must have had kind of a safer moment, you know, once upon a time. <laughs> I've had one or two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much easier to stay in that lane, yes. Um, yeah. All right, now I got a bunch of other questions. I'm going to skip around because uh, we only got a certain right. amount of time. But uh, I go too slow, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I, my style is I like to let people talk. I see people in chat telling me to jump in. I Look, I like to let people get their thoughts out and it's an interview it's not yep. about me you know jumping in i'm not chris matthews or somebody like that um but uh I, so i went to school for political science and actually have a degree in that uh yeah i know <laughs> but it helped me with this at least i guess a little bit talk bullshit online write a little bit but uh one of the things i read in in college and several times since although it's been a while is uh, machiavelli's the prince uh, and mm. I, I know you've you have some uh, thoughts there. Uh, what do you find most pertinent in terms of lessons from Machiavelli's The Prince? I don't know about The Prince specifically. Um, I guess I'm more uh, like discourse. Discourse on Olivia. Wow, about, I've never heard anybody but, but, else mention uh, that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, you, know, you know, you know, there's this this great, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I I think that that you know the spirit of Machiavellianism and the book as a as a you know. I mean, there's actually when you if you want to study politics academically, there's a very simple formula which you can apply, which is political science, bad political philosophy, good. And the thing is, there's some people that still study political philosophy, very few that must have been exterminated. Um, of course, our friend, you're familiar with Bronze Age pervert, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's reputed, he reputed, I said, I don't want to confirm, I don't know anything about who he really is, but he's reputed to have done advanced graduate work in political philosophy and, and sort of, you know, political philosophy is like Plato, Aristotle, Machiavelli, uh, Gaetano Mosca, which is pretty much all you need on that subject. The book I always recommend is James Burnham's The Machiavellians, which is basically, which takes this, you know, its title from, from Machiavelli. And is basically a study of realism in political science or political philosophy. When real, what realism means is that you're interested in the institutions as they are, rather than the institutions as they supposed to. They're supposed to be, or as they exist symbolically. For example, and here's just a very simple example. You know, when you're inside Washington, when you're inside the deep state, let's say you're inside the State Department, what you realize very, very quickly is that the deep state is the real government. And in terms of its relationship to democratic elections, it's sort of like the relationship of like a fish, like 50 feet below the water on a coral reef to like a big storm. 
you know, if you're like on a surfboard on the surface, yeah, huge, you know, terrible event. If you're 50 feet under the ocean, you know, you, yeah, you feel like you're kind of used, you know, you have the fish go yeah, kind of sway back yeah, and yeah. forth a little, but you know, really shit is not happening. Right. You know, and so you have this system of this 20th century system of government that is almost entirely in, you know, insulated from these 18th and 19th century mechanisms that you learn about in, you know, your high school or even in college. And these systems still operate in various ways. There's still, you know, presidents and senators and representatives. On the other hand, there was still a Roman Senate in like the year 600 AD. <laughs> Literally, there was still a Senate. But most of us think the Republic ended with Caesar. Most of us are right about that. And so you have all of these kind of symbolic and traditional structures that exist in the world of the government and just ignoring this sort of idea of like what this is supposed to be and saying, what is this really is kind of what you have to do when you're starting to study this. Because the other thing that's a huge mistake is once people see the sort of difference between what it is really and what it's supposed to be, they come up with this answer that, okay, well, this is really screwed up, that this thing is not what it's supposed to be. So what's the way to fix it and make the thing back into what it's supposed to be? You know, restore the Republic, restore, I mean, you know, conspiracies of senators trying to, in some sense, restore the Republic are like constant in the first 200 years of the empire. And they never accomplish anything except getting a bunch of senators killed. And because it's just impossible to, so you're restoring corpse, right? And so, the thing is that people very quickly, when they try to reform these things, get into this mode where they're restoring corpse. And, and that's, a, that's a sort of a terrible thing to do. And that's basically what all of conservatism is, like sort of noticing that you have this system that's supposed to be government by the people, uh, you know, for the people of the people. Um, definitely government of the people. I would, people definitely, sort of governed, maybe some of them are more governed than others, uh, you know, but by the people, for the people, you know, don't make me laugh, you know, <laughs> and, and like, okay, <laughs> go ahead and laugh, you know, and, <laughs> and so, you know, the idea that you can take this like monstrous thing that we have in Washington and actually turn it into government for the people, by the, by the people is just, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's lunacy. It's like, you know, believing that John F. Kennedy was assassinated by interdimensional aliens is like totally straightforward and reasonable thought compared to the visions that most conservative Americans have of restoring this thing and turning it back into something that actually works to protect and cherish and nurture them rather than this like giant bloated, you know, carnivorous tick. And like the sooner you abandon these fantasies, basically the better. And that's kind of what the Machiavellian spirit teaches you. So that bit, the two things I loved about that. First off, you mentioned discourses on Livy right when I brought up Machiavelli, which is what I always do when somebody brings up the prince to me. And almost <laughs> nobody knows about it unless you're like, you know, deep into it, which you are, yeah. of course. So uh, that was that was nice. Uh, and also I, Claudius, you made me think Cla uh, Claudius is a Republican uh, throughout. The, of course, it's fictional, Robert Graves and all that. But he's yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got a play. He's going to restore the Republic. Of course, that doesn't uh, work there. Yeah, the last, the last, the last, I mean, 
you know, there's a lot in the Roman Empire that's actually really reminiscent of, of our period. Sure. And, you know, what's strongly reminiscent is that you have, you know, the reason the Republic becomes the Empire is not that, like, evil Caesar enslaves the people or whatever. That's just trash. Like, the reason the Republic becomes the Empire is actually the, like, physical force of democracy is no longer active because, you know, the reason why you had this Republican system of government, small r, developed both in Greece and in Rome, the word populace in Latin, you know, the, the root of people literally originally meant army. Like the, you know, the country was like the tribe of its armed citizens. And so, you know, the reason why elections seem like a really obvious design there is right, you're just going to count heads instead of chopping heads, basically. And, and so you're, you're sort of counting people that are ready in a very active and military way to kind of stand up for their individual and collective rights. And you'll see that all over the place if you look at basically 18th century Americans. These people are freaking nuts, but they're, they're very prone to violence, right? And you basically look at the citizens of today whose basically purpose in life is pleasure, um, you know, probably less than 30% of adult uh, white males have been in a fist fight. Almost nobody has killed anyone. You, you just call it the kill streak. You haven't actually killed anyone. No, I've right? been in plenty of fights, yeah. though, but no, I haven't killed anyone. Yeah, you've been in plenty of fights because you're from, you're from, you're a cracker from <laughs> yeah, Tennessee. Right. But, you know, the thing is, <laughs> even the crackers, even the crackers are vanishing species, and we do not live in cracker controlled America, right? No. You know, there's no protocols of the elders of cracker, right? You know, and this has not been run by you for you, right? You know, and I'm just saying, and like nobody even bothers to name the cracker, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 so like you know to expect these. I mean, John Adams, you know, said it best. He said, you know, our, our constitution was made only for a. Um, um a religious and moral people uh you know any other would go through it like a whale through a net and being a, a man from massachusetts of fishing country you know what a whale can do to a net and i'm just like you know it's not a question of like the is the decadence of america going to destroy the effectiveness of its constitution you know conservatives are around the tipping point we could go this way or go that way i'm like no, by the way, we already went that way, like like basically eighty years ago, you know, and and so, you know, that realizing that sort of this way of kind of using democracy in terms of we're going to think about the issues, you know, what are the issues? The issues are well, I mean, obviously ethics and, and video games journalism, sure. right? Okay, right and how do you go? How do you go? To, how do you go to the you know the polls in Tennessee and vote for ethics and video game journalism, right? Good luck with that, you know. And and so you know, there's sort of no like when you're sort of thinking in terms of these mechanisms in Norman Rockwell terms, they're very, very, very unusable. And thinking of, but you know, there's still elections, there's still votes, there's still like, and if you think of these sort of strictly in Machiavellian terms, where you're basically like, okay, you know, here's an election, I have 75 million people, what is the way to make 75 million people, 75 million, you know, Trump voters? I see you're you're wearing a red hat, although I guess it's not a, some kind of Mexican it says thing. Merida, um, because that's where I live in the Yucatan Peninsula here in Mexico. Yeah. Oh, lovely, 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 lovely. Are you a an ex? Are you a political? Regard yourself as a political exile, Mr. Ralph? Uh, 
you could say that uh, personal exile maybe yeah. too. Just uh, a lot of different reasons. I'd want to live in Mexico, uh, but yeah, it's really nice yeah. here in Yucatan. Yeah, cheap too. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a lot cheaper too. Yes, yeah. it's a lot yeah. cheaper. It doesn't get cold yeah. around Christmas. Yeah. No, it's it's beautiful. Sure, sure. Does it bother you that that? But but I mean, you have no right to vote. You can't vote in Mexican elections. Does that bother no, you? I'm a, a resident losing, of losing, uh, so I can't vote. Losing your right to vote. No, I don't so vote. so you you have no consent. You don't consent to the government that rules over you. How's that? How can you survive knowing that you've been your your democratic power has been emasculated? I feel so, like you should gang up with other expats and be like and demand your your like rights as a human being. Maybe I should. Um, I don't know. I never thought about it. But yeah, I guess I am disenfranchised. I, uh, yeah, you never yeah. thought about it. Yeah. You, strangely, you never thought about it, right? You never thought about it because this whole voting thing is just it's like. Uh, what about what about? Are you gonna have children in Mexico? Are you gonna have little Mexicans? Uh, I have uh, I have some children. I won't go into uh, all that. It's a bit of a like I said, personal stuff. Uh, I shouldn't uh, mm. go into, but yeah, I have a couple uh, already. Uh, and yeah, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll have some. Yeah, 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 yeah. But your children. Your children, or further children, obviously, because there's a lot of girls in the world. Uh, you know, further children that you may have, you know, would they? Would you consider them the Mexicans if they were born in Mexico? Because you know, as the Bible says, if you're born in um, in a stable, that I mean, uh, Jesus was a horse, right? You know, uh, is that? Is that how you're well, it depends. It, right? I mean, no. If it was with another American, or you know, white woman, yeah. I guess, to, so to speak. But you know, if I if well, I see now you're bringing race into it. I you know, well, I we were, yeah. you know. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if, if it was another American, right, and I had a kid with them, I would consider him American. If I had kids with a the senorita, uh, you know, yeah, I'd probably right. you know they're partially Mexican, partially American, right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, Mexican American or American Mexican. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a different sense, you know, but, 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 you know, voting, having them have the right to vote in Mexican elections is not, how do you, how do you regard Mexican elections? How do you, how do you see? I don't election? really get too much into their politics here since I'm a guest, but I have been following it. I know, uh, Claudia, uh, Scheinbaum, I think is running for, uh, Morena, which is AMLO's party and Jock, Jock, uh -huh. Till. I forget her full name. Claudia Scheinbaum. Yeah, she's Jewish. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say she must be Mongolian. You know, but I'm like, from the Scheinbaums of Ulan Bakal. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know, shock. Shock, that just alerts you. That yeah, imagine Jewish. my shock. You know, <laughs> does anyone still say imagine my shock? Imagine my shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, basically, you know, what I would guess, this, what I would say to Americans is, you know, who consider being involved in politics is really, you know, I think Americans should basically think of Washington, D.C. pretty much the way you think of Mexico City. Okay, there's a thing there. Okay, it makes choices, sometimes weird choices, that affect you. Do you have any power or control over the thing no. Is there any realistic scenario in which you and or people like you would have any power or control over the thing? Also, no. So, therefore, do you give a fuck? No, you don't. Because basically, you're like, imagine you're voting to elect like the, 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 the Queen of England, right? 
you know, so are you voting to elect Elizabeth the first or are you voting to elect Elizabeth the second? Well, you know, they could actually do that in the UK. You know, when the, the Charles dies or whatever, they could elect a new king in like a social media contest, right? I could totally see that. And if the, the new king, you know, the, like the chief celebrity of the UK has exactly the same level of power over the UK that the quote king of England has today, uh, how much power will he have? Basically zero. And, you know, this is basically not too different from the president's level of control over the executive branch. So people are kind of starting to realize that, right? And, like, there's a lot more realization of this reality than there was 15 years ago. Because, you know, obviously as a person educated in political science, you know, how do you, how do you steal the elections? Do you, do you hack the election machines? No, you just cut the wires coming out of the election machine. So you're just electing just this, like schmo who, you know, imagine you're the president. Imagine the president was actually like the CEO of the country. He was like Elon Musk for SpaceX, but for like Washington, D.C. You know, what percentage of his day do you think he'd been spending doing like mindless ribbon cutting ceremonies and photo ops? <laughs> you know, well, it's funny because be like, people think of the president like that, that he's the CEO of the country. They, but they he's actually not. do. They actually, they, they, they actually do. They yeah. actually do. They actually do. And basically both sides really like, you know, kind of collaborate <laughs> in bringing you this just like total admitted, you know, horrible lie. And so the thing is, you know, so, so your first step in kind of rational, reasonable Machiavellian politics is basically to be like, Hey, actually this thing looks like a game show because it is a game show. And like, you know, your sort of first basic step of my, like, you know, my my personal formula of red pill is just like it's the you know the clear pill as I call it. I'm just like don't just get your head out of the shit. Stop thinking about issues. Stop thinking about candidates. Just like take your head you know out of the game and realize that you're watching a game show. And then the second step is like to imagine kind of how collectively you could use these mechanisms, which still work and exist in a way, but only in a way. To actually turn the game show into something that's not a game show. And I don't mean turning it into what it's supposed to be. You know, I don't mean sort of restoring Norman Rockwell America because that's not possible. I mean, basically moving forward and moving forward is inevitably moving in a basically Caesar-like direction. And the, except, you know, instead of like, you know, Caesar, you have Donald Trump, which is like if you were like, let's say you were um, called up um, to the major leagues. Actually, you were a major league player at your first bat. And this is a dream, obviously, but, you know, you've worked your whole lifetime to get, get there. And, you know, um, some like Japanese fastballers facing you out of them on the mound and there's 50,000 fans in the audience and you look up at your bat and it's actually a wiffle bat. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the and you're just like, man, I got no chance. <laughs> and and, and that's, that's sort of the, like the Trump experience, right? You know, it's basically, you're just like, yeah, like you had the sense that this thing that was not real was in a sense, it was, it was about to become real. It could become real. It's what they call, you know, kayfabe from, sure. from pro wrestling. Yes, I'm not know, pro wrestling. Um, well. um, yeah. Right, right. And so, and so, you know, it was about to be like a shoot. It was about to basically take something that wasn't real and make it real. 
and then you looked up at the bat and and it was a wiffle bat and and so you know not like repeating that experience in a way that's like the experience of gamergate because the experience of gamergate was just like you as a community like collectively realized that you know this shit was 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 sorted right five guys burgers and fries like whatever right you know and 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 you're just like wow this whole thing is like sorted and cheap and corrupt and it's basically like trying to like control our minds for weird political purposes and how did this even happen what the hell right and you just like you look at this and you're just like your instant reaction is oh as a good like american citizen i will bring attention I will bring the public's attention to these severe violations of ethics in video games journalism, right? It was so, it was like touchingly sincere, like you thought you could actually do that. It was like the guys in the Soviet Union who would like write a letter to Stalin right. saying that like yeah. maybe all wasn't well with the KGB, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> maybe the New York Times would cover, maybe the New York Times would find that there's ethical problems in video games journalism. I'm sure like, early in Gamergate, like some people probably oh, believe that. They all believe that. We all did. And like, there were a lot of wins early on. Like people, you know, there were ads uh, drawn from some of these sites and it's like, oh yeah, they're going to see it. Like we're winning. And then, yeah, they're going to see no. it. They're going to see it. We're yeah, winning. We're yeah, winning. Right. We you win. know, right. And you're just like, and, and, and you just, you discovered that you were, you were only playing and that's like breaking, you know, this, like the terrifying weight of that realization that like, no, it's not a game and you can't win and it's all over. Like, I think really, um, you know, it informed some people, uh, you know, I don't know what they did. You know, I'm sure you've done a, a retrospective Gamergate. Was it 10 years since Gamergate? 10 years is next that, year. Uh, yeah, 10 years next year. That's, that's amazing. Cool. That's uh, that's amazing. Where is where is where is Zoe Queen or what is her real name? Uh, um, these days, what, she got to? what was her name? Valkenberg or something like that? Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea Van Valkenberg. Yeah, that's, I believe so. That's right. That's right. That's right. A, a rich girl. Is she running? Is she in the House of Representatives yet? I, I haven't checked on her in a while. Uh, I don't think she still yeah. did her comic book or whatever she was supposed to put out years ago. Uh, but mm. I haven't checked on you. you know, she must be a slacker, though, because she should be in the Congress uh, with that type of uh, she should pedigree. Be. Really. She absolutely she should be. could be. She honestly. should be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you got Vaughn in your name, you know, it's like. A, oh, yeah, exactly. Descended <laughs> from some kind of camp commanded or something. Also, we, All right. You've got more super. You've got more super chats here, and I hate to let them let them go in my. Usual yeah, yeah, it's so. fine. I, I just wanted to because we, we've been about an hour. I don't know if you got about 10 or 15 more minutes. I could try to speed yeah, run yeah, some yeah, of these let's do, questions. Let's do, let's do. Let's do some speed running. Okay. I'll try to have some more aphoristic responses. All right. Let's do some speed running. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gaza and the ongoing war in Palestine or Israel? Israel, um, I think that uh, this is going to be another of what's called Israel's like mowing the grass operations. Uh, war is meant to, you know, produce peace, and this war is going to fail, and that it's not going to produce any kind of peace. I, you know, my feelings is is that my feeling is that Israel needs to cut its ties with the so-called international community, which, if you notice, is the same thing as the State Department, and the uh, there's never any conflict between the State Department and the international community, um, you know, and and uh, and and what I think they need to do with Gaza is just basically, you know, you've got two million people there; they're human beings that have human rights. Um, I think they should be given 
basically Gaza, if you notice in the map of Israel, it's like vertical Gaza. This is a strip of like beachfront territory going like this. So what you need to do with Gaza, just, you know, for you shape rotators out there, is you need to actually kind of rotate it. So you create basically the same amount of territory on the Egyptian border, not on the ocean, which is, which is you know, I, I frankly, I don't really think they need beach views, right? And just move everyone out from this like landscape of destroyed concrete into nice new um, Chinese built apartment buildings on the Egyptian border, right? And so you've rotated this thing so it goes along the Egyptian border and you feed in like power and water or whatever and then you basically say okay here's what we're going to do we're just going to move the israeli border behind that so we're going to take this strip and just take this bite out of israel give it to egypt if egypt wants it and um they speak arabic you speak arabic should be fine and then israel just has a little dent out of it to the south where these people live they can stay there they can go elsewhere and you know there really shouldn't be any interaction there i mean the arabs and israelis they're like you know yabatinsky said it very well in his essay you know the iron wall which is something like 70 years over he's just like i don't care about the arabs like they're just like not you know um they think this is their land we think this is our land we just got to win because otherwise they'll just kill all of us and and you know and i think that really if the international community just allowed the strongest force to prevail in conflicts like this, which obviously have nothing at all to do with the physical security of Tennessee. You know, there was an ethnic cleansing in Armenia just a couple months ago. Whole this whole area of Nagorno-Karabakh got got at you know two hundred thousand people. Okay, it's a tenth as many or as as many guys. The Armenians just don't they don't reproduce as well in captivity, I guess, or something. You know, but there's a lot of them. And the uh, government of Armenia basically made the mistake of becoming an American ally rather than a Russian ally. And the Americans are like, don't worry, we'll like protect you. And then when shit went down, the Americans were like, well, you know, what are we going to do? Like, send B-52s to Armenia. Kind of busy this time. Don't call us. You know, we'll call you. Right. And so the Armenians just left. They're just like, hey, you know what? You're stronger. You want this real estate. We're just going to leave our apartments. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets killed. There's no pictures of dead babies or whatever. It's just basically a real estate transaction going back, you know, and, and, you know, who hasn't invested in real estate and lost some money, you know, and, and it, it can even be compensated. You basically, Israel basically is like, okay, we can't really have this Gaza Strip thing. We're going to take this land, but you know what? We're going to sell off this land to, um, to uh, to Jews to Jews around the world, we're going to auction like strips of, of Gaza. Maybe we're going to make Gaza coin, right? And so I don't know uh, if this will go over so make, well. <laughs> you know, you make you make you make Gaza coin, right? And <laughs> and you basically say if you have like one Gaza coin, that's like an acre of land in Gaza. So you do your ICF for Gaza coin, right? And then basically the the like all the shekels from this this IPO go go to these poor Gazans, right? You know, and this is some nice real estate, man. It's on the coast, California climate. You know, you could turn that area into something pretty, pretty nice, right? And so all these people that lost their land, okay, yeah, you lost the land. But, you know, it's like eminent domain. Like, you know, the Jews paid you for it, right? You know, <laughs> and these guys be living, you know, is, I mean, how, what is that? That's like got to be a trillion dollars worth of land. You know, two million people, you do the math, they're sitting pretty, pretty.
Right. And so that's my that's my view for for a solution to the right, gossip problem. That all that, killing any babies. What about the West Bank? <laughs> um, I think a similar approach is probably warranted okay. in the West Bank. I just don't think, you know, there was a sort of vision of Israel that's kind of the global like liberal paradise. Right. You know, and it's like, OK, you know, there are Arabs here. Well, there's Mexicans in the U.S. We'll kind of use them as Mexicans or something. And it just didn't. Uh, you know, I just don't think that's that's right. I mean, one of the things about these these Gaza attacks is little, some of the hostages are actually uh, Thais from Thailand because basically, you know, these kibbutzim apparently these were like liberal shishi kibbutzes that were near Gaza for whatever reason, and apparently, you know, in a kibbutz, you know, all the labor is supposed to be done by all the people. You're all getting together. You're doing yeah. this thing's big ideology, but apparently, Communism, they decided yeah. that. Yeah, communism. But then, you know, they decided that there wasn't enough people who wanted to wash dishes, so they had to import slave labor <laughs> from Thailand. So imagine if you're like some, like, you know, Thai agricultural slave you're labor, like, and fuck? you find yourself you in a tunnel to in Gaza. The Gaza Strip, right? You're like, what the fuck? Where are my ladyboys, right? You know, and, and the uh, <laughs> right. It's a strange, uh, strange, fucked up journey, you know, and. Uh, the um yeah so i'm not you know imported slave labor is not i'm not really i don't think that's a good model in general i think these uh, but um yeah i i don't think the relationship you know you alluded to some troubles you've had with women we've all had troubles yeah. with women and sometimes the relationship just can't really be saved and i think that's the way it is with the jews and the arabs you know they do speak related Semitic languages, you know, there's no anti-Semites in this situation because you're either pro-Palestinian or pro-Jewish and they're both Semites, right? But, but uh, you know, I just, it's not a fixable relationship. And that just means the parties just need to be separated. It's as simple as that. You know, you're just trying to have this, like, it's like me trying to live in the same house with my ex. It's a ridiculous idea. That would be a ridiculous idea for me too. Uh, now, <laughs> very ridiculous. Uh, now, okay, so I'll, I'll jump around here a little bit. I, I have to ask you about Urbit before we go at some point because a lot of people mm -hmm. want me to ask you about that. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the Israel lobby uh, in America? And I saw a, a take of yours uh, about that. Um, uh, about that versus the Palestinian lobby uh, that I'd read, I think uh, last night about how the Palestinians yeah. don't have really an organized lobby, but uh, you had said that they're uh, more powerful basically, more and a, that the is Israelis need that it, lobby because they they wouldn't be able to wield any type. That's of right. Power it's more that. of you know, it's more of a disorganized lobby because basically there's a really deep cultural connection between the sort of the American kind of what I would call missionary imperialism and that relationship, you know, is very old and it, it involves actually some family members of mine. So my, my great uncle, Peter Keith, for example, was the uh, provost of the, something called the American university of Beirut. If you're wondering why there's an American university in Beirut, um, I don't know, but there is, and it dates back to the 19th century, you know? And so these are very deep, old sort of, connections and it's all sort of little brown brother kind of thinking it's all very very patronizing it's really ugly stuff you know and and the the but it's a huge you know it's just a huge kind of cultural industry because it's basically allows people 
to kind of get out, you know, their their vibes against Israel, this colonialist, you know, settler state. And the thing is, Israel is a colonialist settler state, you know, and the problem comes when you have to sort of do these kind of gyrations where, you know, obviously colonialism is good, right? But the thing is, if you admit that colonialism is bad, then you have to say colonialism is bad, but Israel is good, so Israel is not colonialism. And I'm like, you know, right. Whereas if you basically, you know, can actually get it together to defend, you know, not only Israel, but also say Rhodesia, you'll realize that Israel and Rhodesia actually have a lot in common. And, um, and I do think that Israel will, will go the route of Rhodesia. I don't think there will be any Israel that to speak of left in 50 years. And I just don't think they have the fortitude to maintain themselves. And the, and so, you know, to the extent that there's sort of this lobby fending off this kind of intense potential pressure, like the potential, the, like the pressure that was put on Rhodesia and South Africa to basically surrender their apartheid settler colonialism. Uh, I think it'll, it'll eventually claim Israel too, despite, you know, the, the power of the Israel lobby, which is certainly a thing. I mean, well, not you can thing. extrapolate 50 years from now, like you said, um, 25, 50, 7,500, and you can see the way the trend's going now. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think you may be right about that. Um, all right. So I think it's, is it your bit or Urban? it's your bit, right? Okay. I did say it right. Okay. Uh, okay. So I have a, 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 somebody submitted this from a group called, uh, your chan. Uh, he said it's pronounced your chan or Urchan. Um, uh, you don't like them. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about them. Uh, but, uh, what is, uh, Urban first off, uh, and, What's the state of it? Where do you see it going? I don't. I didn't study well, much you know, about this part of the interview, by the way. So, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing I invented a long time ago when um, nobody really thought there would be a use for it, and nobody really thought there would be a use for it because there's like, a, you know, uh, they used to be on the internet. It was the place where uh, you went on the internet because you wanted a freedom of speech. And I remember, even when I was trying to like sort of pitch this stuff back in like 2014, 2015, I was like, well, you know, in theory, like Google, could like censor the blogs on blogger, but come on, Google's never going to censor the blogs on blogger. Right. You know, and then, you know, the walls just started closing in like in star Wars. Right. You know, and, and, and it turns out that, you know, I think to simplify it really broadly. And again, this is a project that I haven't been involved in since 2018. Um, but, I think the general sort of direction of the future that's necessary is, you know, people used to have back when I was started using the internet in the 1980s, it was like, Oh, you know, here we have this network of computers. It's all that are all, you know, connected by, by sending each other network messages. Right. But everybody has their own computer. And what was discovered in the early two thousands by persons such as uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, um, another Mongolian um, was that the uh, it actually worked a lot better if instead of having your social network be like a network of separate computers that talk to each other via network messages, it was actually a lot easier to just put everybody on one big computer and and have you know your Facebook profile or whatever your account is just like a row in a giant database. It's not really its own thing in any sense. It's not its own computer. And so 
only somewhat later we started to realize that this created this sort of you know enormous like basically pressure point for the powers that be because then when they wanted to uh tell us to talk about um you know not complain about ethics and in, in, in game journalism and, and so forth they basically had kind of you know one one neck that they could squeeze right and so they they gradually learned to squeeze it better and better and we got this whole misinformation disinformation industry i remember when google was just a map of links and my like blog had like really high google juice because a lot of people linked to it you know and then it did it did and then you know the uh you know all sorts of thumbs started being put put on all sorts of scales right because this clearly did not this was not a marketplace of ideas that produced food that um you know that well when gamergate first started my page rank was very high too because i had all these links from yeah. Bar and all these bigger sites you could even and, just look up yeah. your you could even look up your page rank right you know yeah. it was crazy it actually worked and and so you know that's basically the cost of the centralization that you pay and so you know the answer to that is obviously no actually your social online existence needs to be at least in a virtual sense it needs to be its own computer now that computer might not be running in your house it might be in a server somewhere and they have uh you know you can't you know nobody's doing this with urbit specifically yet to my knowledge but it's only a matter of time there's something called confidential computing where you can actually run your code in a little box on a server somewhere and not even the hosting service can break into that box that's uh, you know through the magic magic of, of encryption or something like that. Uh, you know, look up like uh, Intel SGX is the technology that makes this possible. And so you know, a world in which basically your digital life is in fact your own virtual computer in the sky that basically nobody can break into or like search or tell you know what it's doing is clearly in some senses the future. The problem is technically that conflicted with this sort of problem in computer science, which is that basically all the computers that we use are basically, just because the software can't be changed out at this very fundamental level, they're basically emulations of 1970s mini computers. And when I say a mini computer, I mean something that's the size of an industrial fridge. And, and, the, the, and so, you know, what I decided, and I'm not sure I was right, but I'm not sure I was wrong, is that in order to sort of get something that's a computer that would be sort of truly your own and truly personal but also like a genuinely networked computer you couldn't have that be like a virtual unix box or whatever which is basically a clone of a 1970s mini computer you had to kind of do it on the basis of sort of a complete completely different technology which i also didn't invent called functional programming and so that's basically Urbit if you sort of want to go deep into that. So Urbit was basically designed at the start of the 21st century for, you know, how should we be computing really in the middle of the 21st century? Um, it's a very small thing. It's a growing boy. You know, some people use it, um, you know, for those who are into that sort of thing. It's the kind of thing you're into. It just needs to sort of gain maturity gradually and become kind of a realer and realer thing. Um, 
Well, I was just going to say, it's got a lot of people that care about it because, I, you know, it was big to get you on and a lot of people were excited to have you on. But I had a lot, and I don't know much about it, I had a lot of people, please ask him about Herbert. Like, say something about Herbert. You know, they know I want to talk about uh, you know, and yeah, all this if, stuff. If you, don't, like, if you don't know about it, it's yeah. probably not ready for you. You know, and, and one, of the things, one of the things about, one of the things about, like, I was a big, you know, veteran of the internets back in, again, I started using the internet in the 80s. And then the 80s and early 90s, we had this great thing called Usenet which was yes. absolutely the future. Yeah. Um, it's good it for piracy, brilliant. too, and these days. But yeah, yeah, the problem is then people started using it. Two yeah. things happened. One is that people started using it for piracy. Yeah. It was too good for piracy. And and that and then, you know, basically AOL connected to Usenet, and yes, that basically that brought a lot of just... Was that Eternal September? That brought a lot of or, yeah. Eternal September. That yeah. brought a lot of human trash to the party because the thing is that basically... It, you know, the Usenet was just extremely high quality, and we thought that that quality was a result of the technology, and it was not. It was a result of basically the gatekeeping that the technology sort of, you know, inadvertently produced. And so you had this whole, like, pool in, like, of, like, 1991, 1992, of, like, a network of, like, 100,000, like, nerds with IQs of 125, 130, and that was a like, great kind of digital civilization. But... You know, it just didn't have the, um, you know, you need, um, um, you know, different kinds of governance for uh, people at different levels of, um, you know, civilizational advancement. Uh, you know, I would say, like, yes, you don't yeah. really need much government in, like, Iceland, you know, but maybe, um, you know, in Haiti, it's a different matter. And the, I mean, there's a lot of differences there. We don't we don't know exactly what those differences are, but there are differences. You can't pinpoint and, it's maybe it's geography. It's one of the very far north. The other is it's quite a bit to the south, and and the 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 magnetic field has an effect that's totally close different to the magnetic field down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's close to the equator. It has a totally different effect. You know, it, you know the effect of magnetic fields on the development of you know. I'm just saying, if you're going to have those kids, you might want to have the north, maybe very far, yeah, you know, Minneapolis or something. Yeah. You know, and 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 the uh, because of those magnetic fields, whatever the cause is. Uh, let's just say it's magnetic fields. I think Haiti and Iceland need very different kinds of government because one of the basic principles of political philosophy is that the government, there's no system of government that's the right system for everyone. And the, the, uh, so, um, yeah, um, the, um, like what you need in order to govern a network of billions of independent nodes that are genuinely independent is not clear right now in any system that's sort of as young, you know, as Urbit. Yes, as far as I know, it's a very high quality community, but it's a very high quality community because there's a lot of barriers to entry and sort of, you know, keeping the quality while slowly lowering, lowering those barriers until it's as easy to use as Facebook. You know, that's a, um, that's a problem that the future has has yet to solve. So, you know, if you want things that are, and, and it's very important to keep quality high. So if you basically want things to be easy, if you want them to be comfortable, 
don't come to Urbit. Stay, stay away. And in fact, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about it anymore because, uh, you know, you don't, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, 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 don't call us. We'll call you. Is, you know, that's, that's the approach by which all communities flourish. All right. Now let me ask <laughs> you one more straight question. Then I have a question from a friend of yours. Yeah. I, I don't know his name, but he's a mutual, he's a friend of a friend of mine. And my friend mm -hmm. uh, said, Hey, he's having mobile going. He's having Curtis Yarbrough on. Do you? And he knows that he's a friend of yours. Yeah. And he said, do, do you have a question that he could ask him? And so I have that question. It's a little bit uh, unorthodox. I'll end it with that. But one question before that, and I have a bunch more. Maybe you can come back on sometime right. uh, because I'd like that. But yeah, maybe it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, it has been fun. The last straight question before I get to that uh, What are the impacts of AI deepfakes on authenticity and our ability to collectivize ideas? You know, I don't think anybody trusts anything they see on the internet, you know, anymore anyway. People used to trust a picture because a picture couldn't be faked. Then a picture could be faked. And, you know, just because you see, a, a, you know, a picture of Vladimir Putin riding a bear, you don't think Vladimir Putin actually rode a bear. Uh, you depend um, uh, on, on, you know, other information for that. I don't think anybody really... You know, yeah, to a certain extent, you can still look at video and assume it couldn't have been faked. Uh, you know, that ability is going away in the next few years, but I don't think that's the way most people judge authenticity anyway. I think they judge it through the quality of the context and the quality of the sources around it. And so, you know, obviously, if you read in New York Times, for example, it's true. And the, the um, because, you know, they... They have ethics in journalism. The newspaper you know, of and, record. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the newspaper of record, right? You know, and and the the um, no hanky cake there, no sir. So so yeah, I don't I don't I don't think it's a huge effect. Okay, now this is a question. So let me let me uh, read this. I thought I was going to get a serious question. It says Ralph is having Yarvin on at six p.m. Eastern. You got any good questions Ralph could ask him? And he said, "Ha ha, nice." All right, uh, let's, get, let's get a let's he, get a bad question. Then he says, "Uh, can you ask him what he thinks of Santa Marin's ass?" Uh, I think Marin's how you say. She used to be the uh, prime minister. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of of Finland. Well, Wait, hold on. For the record, I'll show it because she posted it on Instagram. Now she's not nude totally or anything like that. Uh, but if you didn't see it on Instagram, I don't know if that's big enough. Hang on, I'm, I'm looking a little closer. Well, you know, I mean, um, uh, she's 38. How should I say this? But yeah, 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 yeah. She's 38. So, 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 you know, the thing is, um, you know, I'm not really like a celebrity in the sense of the uh, the Kardashians, but like, you know, uh, like, you know, there was this line that Trump said. Uh, you know, once which really resonated with me, where he was like, um, "When, um, when, when you're you're a celebrity, that they, they let you do it." You know, and, right. and so when you're a star, they, they let you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, when you're a star, they let you. Do it. I'm not a star, right? But the thing is, yeah, I mean, you know, on an absolute, you know, there's sort of two different answers in a way because one of them's, you know, on a sort of absolute like normal basis. Like, you know, and the other one is like, compared to my fiance. And, you know, the thing is, on an absolute normal basis, yeah, for a prime minister, especially a former prime minister, I'm pretty impressed. You know, on the other hand, um, you know, uh, I mean, there's higher standards, there is right. all I'm saying. 
It's there like uh, it's like when they say somebody's uh, attractive in Washington, right? Or like, uh, you know. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Hollywood a, for ugly people. A, is what they, is a, cal, a, cal, a Caltech 10, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Let's yeah, say a Caltech right. 10, you know. But, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, she's, you know, I don't know. I mean, when I was, you know, for all the young guys watching it there, I think, you know, 38 might seem pretty old to you. Uh, I really encourage you to go go out there and date older women. Young young men should date older women because you learn so much from them. You'll just like it's just a huge, you know, absolutely the right thing to do. Get as much of an age gap, you know, in there as you can, and you'll find that when you're older, you know, you'll just naturally find yourself dating younger women. And the and and you know the basically. For males of, of any age, the absolutely top tier females are a little younger than that. They're basically 30 to 35. So 20 to 30 is just a little, you know, someone in their 20s is not kind of fully formed in a way. Um, and then, of course, you know, attractiveness does tend to decrease a little bit past the age of 35. And as well as, of course, fertility. So if we're simply talking, again, for prime minister, very impressive, you know, but guys, keep your standards high. Keep your standards high. We had a high standard tonight with your appearance on the kill stream, and I very much appreciate it. Tell people, of course, you're well known, but tell them where they can find you or support you or follow you. You can work. find me at graymirror.substack.com. That's gray with an A, the American way. And you can also read my verse at imperialmelodies.substack.com. And, but that, that one's free. Uh, but for Gray Mirror, uh, you, do, uh, you do have to pay. But, um, I'll be releasing some book chapters soon, so come by, check it out, read some fun stuff, subscribe. Very cool, and thank you, Mr. Yarvin. I'll say Mr. Yarvin uh, here for joining me uh, tonight on the show. I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Mr. Ralph. Have a great night. All right, you too. Curtis Yarvin here live on the Kill Stream.